Hello everyone, it's Mark Godeka here. Welcome to the NT Pod, a podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 15 and today we're going to take our first glimpse at the Gospel of Thomas. Whenever I introduce the NT Pod, I always like to say that it's a podcast not just about the New Testament, but also about Christian origins. And one of the reasons for that expression, Christian origins, is that I don't want to be limited as an historian just by the canonical boundaries that the New Testament presents. And I want to look at other documents from Christian antiquity. One of the documents that most fascinates me is the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, I've been spending quite a bit of time researching it and writing about it. And I would like to take our first glimpse at it today. And not just our first glimpse, but I would like to study the occasion when it first came back to light in modern times. Because the Gospel had been lost for centuries. We see the ancients referring to the Gospel of Thomas quite a bit. And we know that it was discussed, we know that it was around in antiquity, we know that it was important and interesting to lots of people. But nobody caught sight of it for centuries. It was lost. Nobody saw it. And then, two Oxford scholars, Bernard Grenfell and Arthur Hunt, found fragments of the Gospel of Thomas in a rubbish dump in Egypt in the late Victorian era. And this is the story of how they did that. Quite often when you hear people telling the story of the discovery of the Gospel of Thomas, they begin at the wrong point. They begin in 1945 when the first complete copy of the Gospel of Thomas was discovered in Nag Hammadi in Egypt. Well, we'll come on to that in a future NT pod. But the first discovery of fragments of the Gospel of Thomas actually goes back much further than that. And I suppose I inevitably have some sympathy with it because I was an Oxford man myself and the people that discovered the fragments of Thomas were Oxford men too. They were at Queen's College and their names were Arthur Surridge Hunt and Bernard Pine Grenfell. Now, if that name Grenfell sounds familiar to you, it may be because you know the British Music Hall comedian Joyce Grenfell and for a long time I wondered whether she might be related to Bernard Grenfell so I dug around a little bit and it turns out that uh, that she was. Um, her, her husband was Reggie Grenfell and Reggie was the second cousin once removed of Bernard Grenfell who features in our story. But he met Arthur Hunt, another Oxford scholar, in 1888 and they formed a friendship and they went on an exploration with the Egypt Exploration Fund, later the Egypt Exploration Society. And the place that they alighted on after a little bit of research was Oxyrhynchus, which is about 100 miles southwest of Cairo. Back in its day, it was huge. It was Egypt's third city. But uh, by this time, by the Victorian era, nothing of its former splendour, its amphitheatre or its colonnades remained. Um, it, there is an interesting old Arabic legend that Mary and Joseph, when they escaped from Herod, they alighted in this place, but uh, that uh, legend goes back only as far as uh, the early medieval period. But when Grenfell and Hunt went to Oxyrhynchus, um, they found that it was a fantastic place for looking for papyrus, the ancient kind of uh, paper, because it's such a dry area. So papyrus survives very well in this kind of area. And 
they looked in what were effectively ancient rubbish mounds. That's what they call them, ancient rubbish mounds, where if they did their archaeology, they found that there were layers and layers and layers of this ancient papyrus finds and they discovered some amazing things hundreds of fragments which took years and years and years to catalogue and publish one of them was a piece of the poet Sappho and it was a fantastic discovery because nobody had ever seen this poem before they found biblical texts like Matthew's gospel and then they also found wonderful sort of everyday uh, realities that remind that, that showed them what life was like in the period so you know it was letters it was land surveys and this kind of thing they gave pride of place though to a document which they called logia jesu oracles of jesus they, they catalogued it as p oxy one papyrus oxyrhynchus one the first and most important piece that they discovered it was just a sheet or so but it contained sayings of jesus some of which were, f were familiar and some of which weren't the very first piece that they noticed of P. Oxy one was a word which was already familiar to them from the Gospels. They knew it from Luke 6, 41-42 and its parallel in Matthew, which is the saying about the brother who goes to another brother and says, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time he's got a great big beam or a log in his own eye. Now, that word speck in Greek, karphos, that word they noticed on this papyrus and they thought, gosh, you know, what is this text we're looking at? Well, clearly it couldn't have been a piece of Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel because also on this same fragment of papyrus, you get sayings like this. You have Jesus saying, I stood in the midst of the world and I appeared to them in flesh and I found everyone drunk and I found no one thirsty among them. And my soul worries about the sons of men because they are blind in their hearts. That doesn't sound like anything in the gospels, does it? So they knew that they'd found something which hadn't been discovered before. Well, they published this fragment as P. Oxy 1, and it got quite a bit of attention for a while, but they only discovered any more of what turned out to be the Gospel of Thomas a few years later on, in 1903, when they returned to Oxyrhynchus. And on this trip in 1903, they continued the act of excavating and searching through these uh, rubbish mounds in Oxyrhynchus. In fact, they had a huge team. In fact, there was quite a lot of child labour in their, in their team. Uh, Bernard Granville even talks about an eight-year-old and the, and the long working day that uh, he engaged in. So it may well be that it was, a, it was a kid that discovered these fragments of the Gospel of Thomas working in the heat of the desert. But in 1903, when they found these other two fragments, one of them was particularly interesting because it contains what turned out to be the very beginning of the document. They didn't necessarily know that at the time, but it has a piece which says, look, this is th these are the secret sayings of the living Jesus and that uh, Didymus, Judas, Thomas wrote these down. So we, we have now some really diagnostic material which, which gives you some kind of idea of the text that they'd actually found. And these fragments that they'd found, Pioxy 1, Pioxy 654, Pioxy 655, these are all early texts. They're earlier than uh, lots of our earliest New Testament uh, fragments and, and so, so I mean they date from the early third century and and beyond so it was enormously exciting to them then and it's still enormously exciting to us today when we look back on these manuscript finds. Well what was the import of 
these fragmentary discoveries of what turned out to be the Gospel of Thomas? Well, we wouldn't find out the answer to those sorts of questions until a complete copy of something resembling the Gospel of Thomas was discovered, and that did happen not that long after the deaths of Grenfell and Hunt. Arthur Hunt died in 1934. He didn't die very happy because he lost his son and never really recovered from the shock of the death of his son. Bernard Grenfell also died an unhappy man. He suffered from mental illness all his life and uh, while his mother was able to nurse him back to good health right up until her death in 1917, when he had his final relapse, he never really recovered and he died in a mental hospital in Perth in 1926. But it was a few years after that, in 1945, when a complete copy of the Gospel of Thomas turned up in Nag Hammadi, also in Egypt, and that gives the catalyst for the really serious work on the Gospel of Thomas to begin. Nevertheless, there are already signs in the Oxyrhynchus fragments of Thomas of what scholars would enjoy studying in the future. One of them is already there in the very first piece that they looked at. You remember I said that there's this business of the moat and the beam, the log and the speck, that famous passage from the Synoptic Gospels? Well, that passage in the Gospel of Thomas is remarkably similar to the wording of the same passage in Luke chapter 6. You have a 13-word verbatim agreement in Greek. That's probably a little bit too long, a little bit too striking to be the result of independent oral tradition. So that may show that the Gospel of Thomas is familiar with our synoptic Gospels. So that itself is already an interesting sign. And in one of the other pieces, a piece where Pioxy 1, the, the first fragment again, talks about how a prophet is not welcome or not accepted in his hometown. That's familiar also from Luke's Gospel. And the word that's used there, the word accepted, dektos in Greek, is an unusual word that's used there. And most people think it's Luke's own redactional addition to Mark's Gospel. So the fact that Thomas is familiar with that could also suggest that Thomas knows Luke's gospel rather than some kind of independent oral tradition. But that's probably being a little bit premature because there's lots more material to be investigated when we look at the gospel of Thomas and there are huge problems and huge and inviting things to look at when we investigate the gospel of Thomas in a little bit more detail. So I promise you that we will come to that in a future episode of the NT pod. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of the NT Pod. There'll be another episode along soon. You can find me on the web if you want to look me up at markgoodacre.org. You can find this podcast at podacre, P-O-D-A-C-R-E dot blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at goodacre. And of course, you can find the podcast on iTunes U. And uh, please look me up there. Thanks very much again for listening and I'll see you soon. Oh, one more thing. I did mention that Bernard Grenfell was distantly related to Joyce Grenfell, and that gives me the excuse to put a nice little clip of Joyce Grenfell, for those of you who aren't familiar, at the end of this podcast. Enjoy. Of occupation. Get out from under the table there, please, Sydney. Yes, some of us paint and some of us do plaster scene work. Or go to a sand table over there. We feel that each little individual has got to get to the bottom of himself and learn what he wants of life. Who is making that buzzing noise? Well, stop it, please, Neville. 
Hazel, dear, come away from the door and get something to do. I do love to see them all so happily occupied, each little one expressing his own personality. George, don't do that. And this is my friend Caroline, and Caroline's painting such a lovely red picture, aren't you, Caroline? I wonder what it is. Perhaps it's a lovely red orange, is it, or a sunset? Oh, it's a picture of money. Oh, for a moment I thought it was an orange, but now that you tell me, I can see it's money. Um, aren't you going to give her any news? No? No news. I think it's so interesting the way they see things, don't you? Sydney, stop blowing at Edgar and get something to do.